Welcome back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. Killer Bees are also known as Africanized Bees. And we all know there's nothing Africanized about these two guys. It's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. Spencer just stays lying about all that. Uh, Justin Verlander, did he get his groove back yesterday, Blankers? Uh, JV, six shutout innings last night against a good offense. I mean, Boston's a team that's very much in the playoff race, although the Astros are pushing them further and further away from it. Uh, JV, six shutout innings, strikes out a season-high nine, gives up just five hits, walked only one, told the other manager to get back in the dugout in a roundabout way. That's the best we've seen of Justin Verlander in an Astro uniform. I think that's his, the best his stuff has looked. Do you think JV got his groove back last night? And Miller and Murphy, the you know the law firm there with the Astros, did they unleash the old JV? I, I think that when you heard his post game press conference and you heard his quotes and you heard him talk about the fact that there was something that he discovered. You know he tinkers. You know that he loves analytics and video and all the things the Astros and the law firm bring to the table, I think there's a damn good chance. I think there's a damn good chance that some things were figured out and that we're going to see a, a better and better Justin Verlander down the stretch. His The curveball to me was like, it was filthy. It was filthy. Like, we haven't seen that from JV in an Astro uniform. I didn't the watch every one of his Mets starts. buckling. The slider, like Alex Cora talked about a slider and said it was like mediocre, but it said his curveball was unbelievable. He also had like a mile hour or two on his fastball. Like, he was getting swing and miss with his fastball, which he hadn't done that a whole lot as an Astro. Here was Verlander after the game that you referred to talking about how he got his fastball back last night. I think the shape of my fastball was kind of back to what it used to be. I mean, um, you know, earlier this season, I was kind of cutting across the four seam a little bit. Um, you know, it just wasn't a very efficient uh, spin. Um, and you know, for a long time, I've been trying to figure out how to get that back. And it's kind of like slowly been getting there. Um, but um, I feel like the kind of last piece of the puzzle, um, I hope, you know, obviously you can only go start by start, but the results um, today were, were really what I was looking for. We've seen Verlander enough, and we've heard Verlander enough, Blankers. To whenever he whenever he talks, he's not hyperbolic. Like he he doesn't he doesn't sell you a bill of goods. Right. When he's lousy, he tells you he's lousy. When he tells you he's average, he tells you he's average. Verlander talking so glowingly about you know the fastball shape being better, the velo being up a tick, the curveball being nasty the way that it was yesterday, but also like the steps that it took there. Like if it was just a one off, like he didn't change anything, one off. I don't. I wouldn't be as optimistic as I am about it now, but listening to how he's been working on stuff, and he's been like a tick away, and that Miller and Murphy have been helping out in this whole thing. Like, Verlander's not one to, to be hyperbolic. It sounds like Justin Verlander is really pleased where his stuff was a night ago, and I think he thinks he can continue it. Yeah, it, no doubt about it. That, you know, and this is something that he longed for when he was with the Mets that they weren't receptive to when he said, look, we got to do more of the things like the Astros do it with analytics and video and all the things that they do to kind of take it to the next level. And, and if this is what it took and that they actually found something and that he's turned a corner, then that's an even bigger advantage for the Astros than the trade and then what you got out of him last night when you sorely needed a starting pitcher to kind of push for you and, and, and put together a really, really quality start. Uh, it, it's all pointing in the right direction. You know, the thing to me, too, was the fact that he talks about the shape of his pitches. But it, one, the velocity was fantastic. But the way he was painting the edges, the way that the ball was moving to different heights as it was moving from within the strike zone early on the release point and then fading out of the zone 
which caused a lot of the 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 irritation of Cora and the Red Sox because the he he just he had pinpoint control which we haven't seen for, for a while from yeah. Justin Verlander and and that was what excited me the most the fact that when he's dealing with a full repertoire of a really good fast fastball and he's got quality off speed pitches and now he's also being able to place them all over in different eye levels for the hitter and around the edges of the plate I mean that's all you can ask for especially at a guy at his age but when this is why you made this trade and, and the fact that he cares about his craft enough to really kind of dial it into making himself better is fantastic. Yeah, he talked about, you know, he, he says he didn't feel quite right all season long until last night. Like, he feels like last night was the point that he's been striving for all season long. Like, if Verlander had comments after the game, it was like, yeah, you know, it just felt like, you know, same old, same old. I didn't feel anything special, like, whatever. But it's the... It's the performance that he had, six shutout innings, striking out a season-high nine. That's the other thing. He struck out nine. He hadn't done that at all this season and did it last night. But then coupled with the Verlander sound we just heard, coupled with the fact that says, like, this is what I've been striving for, and I feel like I am getting there, I think it gives you reason to be encouraged with Justin Verlander. And you talked about, you know, this is why you made the trade. You didn't know it at the time, but if you look back, with what you know now with the starting pitching, I think Dana Brown would have been even more aggressive trying to get Justin yeah. Verlander with Fromber's struggles, with Christian Javier Obviously, not yeah. being very good. And I saw the, saw the pitching rotation, too. They announced the series for uh, Detroit. They're skipping Christian Javier's start, which the Astros have been doing this with their hybrid six-man rotation, with Hunter Brown struggling, with Jose Arquiti coming off an injury. I think that Dana Brown, with the current state of the pitching staff, would have been even more aggressive trying to acquire Justin Verlander. So, I mean, this is what you need. Like, yes, you, this is why you made the trade, because you want to pitch deep into the postseason. You want to play deep into the postseason. But you, in hindsight, 2020, you need it more than ever. You need Justin Verlander, not necessarily to be the Cy Young Justin Verlander from last year, but to pitch to his numbers this year. Justin Verlander right now this year is 9-6 and six with a 319 ERA. That is really, really good for a starting pitcher in baseball. You need Verlander to be a 320 ERA guy the rest of the season and then carry that into the playoffs as well. well. And kind of what you were talking about that you didn't, you didn't necessarily think you'd have the kind of issues that you have with the starters to really need a guy like Justin Moore, but it was also the reason why from a different perspective, they needed to load up on the bullpen because they, they already knew in the same kind of vein that Montero was struggling and that Stanek wasn't a guy that Dusty trusted. And so the same way they went and got a Graveman and they got a guy that could actually add to the back of their bullpen just in case, insurance-wise and experience-wise, this is the same thing with Verlander, only on another level now, especially because it all got ramped up with some of the struggles of the other guys. And the other thing, if you listen to the quote is, just to show you, it's kind of like when Brady said, and they talked about Brady after he was walking away from the game, that every so often and almost every year he was tinkering. He was changing his delivery, his release point, his footwork, different things to put more velocity on the ball, to be more accurate where he could. Verlander wasn't just talking about like where he was throwing the four-seamer and how he was positioning his hands and the release point on that. If you listen to all the quotes, the velocity that he knew he could get was based on his load. The fact that he could load up yeah. on his back leg more, the way he was positioning his body, that could get that extra one or two miles an hour, three miles an hour, that can be such a big difference with a pitcher like him. And then the fastball becomes less hittable, and the strikeouts go up. So this is why you love having a guy that cares about his craft as much as a Justin Verlander, as opposed to guys that come in and go, I throw fast, I throw hard, I've got great stuff. I 
I don't have to do all that much. And, and that fastball, too, you, you, it plays off the other stuff. Like, you get that life on the fastball. You can get the swing and the miss on the fastball. You get the hitters where they have to respect that fastball. All of a sudden, that curveball that was nasty yesterday becomes a little bit more un- unhittable. When, when the, the slider that's 76 average. miles an hour, when your fastball's over 95, that's dominating for a hit. It's just... Right. Yeah, I mean, the discrepancy in terms of speeds is, is, is another factor. But I'm just talking about if the hitter has to respect your fastball as opposed to just like, I don't respect his fastball, I'm never going to swing and miss on that. Or not even spin on it. Like, he just, I, I'm not worried that Justin Verlander is going to blow me away. I'm going to make contact on a Justin Verlander fastball, so it's not going to make that curveball more effective, the slider more effective. So that fastball, you can pitch off of it whenever you're spotting it, like you're talking about. And if you're getting a little bit more movement on it to swing and miss, because you're, you know, if you get movement, it's a little bit more difficult to hit. I also, part of me wonders too, because look, I think I think Miller and Murphy were very instrumental in helping Justin Verlander with the load, seeing the load in his windup. Part something that crossed my mind listening to Verlander talk, and then knowing the New York Post article that came out, where like they're not that big in analytics, and Justin Verlander gave some constructive criticism. I wonder if he gets there with the Mets, with the Mets organization. I wonder if the, this is an example of the Astros being sophisticated. Yes, they're still into analytics, even though they got rid of James Click and having the law firm of Miller Murphy. I wonder if this is one of those hidden advantages that the Astros have that other teams around baseball do not. I absolutely not. believe it is. I believe the fact that, it, to answer your question, does he ever get there and figure this out the same way with the Mets? The answer is no, unless he's got his own video equipment and a guy that's setting him up with all of his videos and editing it down and letting him go pitch by pitch, sequence by sequence, and then combining that with the analytics and the numbers and the spin rates and everything that he needs. I think the answer is unequivocally no. I think the Mets probably thought, this is why we pay you the big bucks. Figure it out. We're paying you all this money. Pitch the way you're supposed to pitch and not giving him the right support staff and all the things that, again, if you have a player that's yearning for this stuff, that wants more, and you don't give it to him, that's on you because it could make him better and you better by making the team better. Yeah. I mean, the way Verlander pitched yesterday, I don't think he's going to do that every single outing, obviously. Six shutout innings. But that Verlander was the best he's looked in a Houston Astro uniform this season. But, again... Do you think that's because they're? I mean, he's going to face some staunch lineups, or because you don't think the stuff can stay consistent? I think it's. Like I think that? it's unreal. No, I think the stuff can be consistent. Yeah, I, think I, I think it's unrealistic to expect six shutout innings, striking sure. out nine every single start. I think it's kind of like our discussion leading into last night's start. Ideally, what would you want that you're not sure you're going to get? Better than a quality start. I think you could see him getting into the seventh inning. I think you give him two runs or less. Yeah. And I think that could be more the norm than something that you were tickled with because you got it as a surprise. And to simplify it, how about just a starting pitcher that you can rely on? Because you can't rely on Fromber right now. You can't rely on Javier right now. You can't rely on Hunter Brown right now. Jose Arquiti-ish, but he's like a 4-5 starter. And Jonathan Patrick is like the other only reliable starting pitcher in this rotation. J.P. France. So, like, how about just a reliable starter? But is it taboo to call that an ace? Uh, France? No, a, a starter like that. Instead of just no. saying, yeah, I, I no, think, it's not taboo at all. Because I think that Fromber would take offense to it because he wants to be the ace. But the way he's pitching... Justin Verlander just told you he can still be the ace. Yeah, I think we overrate the whole, like, oh, this guy's the ace, and Fromber's going to be ticked off that somebody else is calling oh, JV the ace. I'm not even worried ace. if he is. I'm just saying, at least you know of all of the uncertainty in this starting in this starting rotation. you got a guy that you could still say is going to be my game one starter, give him the baseball, I think it's clear. And, and believe that he's going to dominate. Like, we've, we've talked about a playoff rotation. If the Astros make the playoffs, and White Sox beat the Mariners today, so that's good news. We've talked about playoff rotations. Now, if you have the ability to set up your playoff rotation, if you win the American League West, you have one of the best two records in the AL, so you don't have to play that wild card round. We've talked about J.V. Fromber being 1A, 1B. I think it's clear-cut a 1-2 now. 
Like I don't, I don't. Fromber's not in the same conversation as Justin Verlander at the moment. Well, Fair. Let me ask you, Jeremy. Is is is, is it a clear cut two? Is Fromber your two, or is JP France in the conversation? Name value is Fromber's your clear. Absolutely, cut name value but, for but, sure. But, but also, if you're looking for results, but you're, there's no way Dusty Baker's bumping France over over Fromber. No chance. No chance. I understand that, but I think by performance, by 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 cachet and and deserving and all those other things, sure, I think that Fromber should be the clear cut. B to that to the Verlander A, uh-huh. and also because he's not signed yet, that you could ruffle some feathers and maybe. You oh, know, I don't care about that. You get, you know I know about that. But I know, I but I think that they're thinking about ever. irreconcilable differences too. But I think that if JP France keeps on pitching the way he's pitching, he should. That should be a, a conversation worth at least discussing. Though you would rub Fromber the wrong way. I, it's it's kind of insulting to Fromber to say that, but it's a sign of how Fromber's been pitching. I mean, it is yeah. what it is. Fromber's been pitching. Fromber has pitched himself to where that is now a question. No question. Which it shows you that Fromber's not been very good, really, since the All-Star break. 713-780-ESPN. I still think he was scorned about not getting that All-Star game start. A little bit mental. 713-780-3776. I think I've cracked the code on D'Amico Ryan's silly strategy and not naming starters at any position. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. I'm on the first jet out of here in the morning heading to the desert in Las Vegas, and I'm going to the Circa. The Circa in Vegas cannot wait. Gallant and I will be doing the show there tomorrow and Friday. Joe George, he's going to be getting us drinks, cocktails, all that great stuff while we're doing the show live. And the reason we're going out to Circa is because of these two contests they have going. The Circa Million and the Circa Survivor. Between the two, $14 million in guaranteed prizes and Circa's not taking a rake. Those are the biggest football contests in Vegas and they're back for their fifth year. Head to Circa, enter in Vegas. Beauty of this bad boy, you can play from anywhere. Once you enter in Vegas, play anywhere you want. Houston, uh, your couch, work, wherever, because you can play anywhere once you enter in Vegas. The two contests, the Circa Million Football Contest, $6 million in total prizes. There are quarterly payouts and 100% payback, which means no rake. You can't get that anywhere else other than Circa. The top prize for the Circa Million Football Contest is one million dollars. You'll pick five teams against the spread weekly and the winner takes home a million bucks. The other contest, the Circa Survivor. We've all played in Survivor pools, probably won a Survivor pool or two. The Circa Survivor with their biggest prize pool yet. Eight million dollars. It's simple. Pick a winner straight up. No spread. Win big. You know how a survivor pool works. Be the lone survivor and a guaranteed eight million dollars is coming your way. Bigger money than ever before. Play today for your share of 14 million bucks in guaranteed prizes. Contests are open now. You don't want to miss out. Enter in Vegas. Play from anywhere. Visit CircusSports.com for details. It's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy this next bit of brilliance with Joel and Jeremy. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees. Dusty on Abreu. This is from uh, Brian McTaggart. They're going through the media scrum a few minutes ago. Uh, Dusty on Abreu's look better in batting practice than he has in a couple of months. The time off helped him, helped his movement, helped his flexibility, which helped your bat speed. I hope if you get if you get June, like I'm not even I don't even want back of baseball card Abreu here, Blankers. I'm not even clamoring for back of baseball card Abreu. I'm going to be realistic with this. Give me June, July Abreu. Give yeah. me June, July, Abreu. I'll be over the moon, incredibly happy. Now, I'm fearful it's going to come at the expense of Yiner Diaz at bats, though. Yeah, I, I would agree. And at some point, when Dusty's going to Dusty, that could be a factor, and that is a little bit worrisome. 
but I think you're right. I, I think that overall, when we talked about it, when he started to struggle early on, and when you took a, when you took a chance on him with a lot of money involved with that third year, especially, but you understood that going into this lineup, it's different. You don't need, though you'd love to have, what he was as a White Sox. But you know that if he just hits the baseball consistently, and we saw him in the playoffs get hits and hit for average and do some things, that if he's that type of player in the middle of this lineup, and if he gets sprinkles and icing back on top of all the guys, the way they're hitting in the middle of the lineup, and Jordan can keep his finger out of doors, that this lineup could be the most potent lineup in baseball and specifically in the American League, to get you back to where you want to go. Yeah. That's the main thing. Dusty on Jordan says that he's working out, feeling better. If he's not back tomorrow, he's back the next day, which probably means the next day. Yeah, you definitely go on the over of whenever he says he's going to be back. This is an interesting quote from uh, from Dusty, too. This is from Brian McTaggart again. Uh, Dusty on Yiner. Everybody wants him to play every day, but it's tough. It's much like a young quarterback. How many young quarterbacks come in and take over right away? The way we've handled it, the way I've handled it, he'll thank me. The city will thank me, and the organization will thank me later. He's full of it. He's full of himself. I just I had to make sure I had to make sure that was the real Brian McTaggart that just tweeted. I cannot believe Dusty Baker said that. Like, remember <laughs> when we were talking about the emoji yesterday with like the the wow. Yiner? Hi, I'm here. I don't think Yiner's going to feel that way. I don't think long term Yiner's going to feel that way. I don't think short term Yiner feel because I know I don't feel that way. Are we thanking Dusty? No, <laughs> the city will thank me for sitting him out when you're in the Dusty? middle of a pennant race and you're you're. Basically, nip and tuck with two other teams. That might be the most arrogant comment I've ever read from oh Dusty. And Dusty, God. look to Dusty. He's usually not arrogant. He's usually not. Like I, I don't remember Dusty Baker having well, a statement like this ever. He just right. does what he does. Like, but but to have a quote like this, I don't remember Dusty having this, a quote. It's like saying that I was responsible for Barry Bonds, or like he or Stevie Francis saying it's the house that I built. Yeah, and that this that's very uncharacteristic for Dusty. Like I literally had to check to make sure that was the real Brian McTaggart, and that I didn't get God again. Like that that was that's, that's interesting. That's something else that if he actually no, said that a, and he said it that way, I, I want to hear it with context of like tone. That's interesting. But even still. That's a hell of a statement to make, man. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to thank you now or later for not playing this guy enough, especially if later on you figure out that he's exactly who we think he can be. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. 713, <laughs> Montrose Mike says, bye, Yiner. Uh, I'm afraid you're right, Montrose Mike. We're going to see a lot less of Yiner, I believe. 713-7803-7. It's managerial malpractice. I think so. Uh, seven one three. Alex says it's like Branham was responsible for Tang Dell. I was. I taught him everything that he knows. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Speaking of the Texans, I think I've cracked the D'Amico Ryan's code on not naming the Do starters tell. here. Uh, it's it's kind of the, we were. It was mind boggling to us a couple of days. Like what the hell? Why, what would the reason? The, what do you gain by right. not announcing? I, I, the theory that I had yesterday, I, I'm more confident in now, and I'm willing to like double down on it more now. Like I, I believe that D'Amico Ryan's is just going to have like an organizational team philosophy where that's like starters isn't like a thing. Like they're not going to sit there and be like, "You're QB one, you're second chair, you're going to be the right tackle." Like it's a com- competitive environment. Everybody's fighting for jobs. Everybody's fighting for snaps. And to be quite honest with you, outside of like quarterback, outside of offensive line all those guys are rotating snaps anyways Mm -hmm. like very rarely in the nfl are there positions that are playing every single snap quarterbacks will offensive linemen will like maybe a safety or two will but other than that everybody's rotating everybody's fighting for playing time everybody's fighting for snaps D'Amico ryan's today 
met with the uh, the media after practice today, and the, the, somebody asked him, "Is C.J. Stroud going to be playing? Is he going to be the first quarterback used on whatever day they're playing this weekend?" And he said, "Yes." But later on, D'Amico Ryan's was asked. I think it's hard to hear the question, but I think he's asked, "Who is the starting linebacker going to be?" And here's where D'Amico Ryan's goes with that question. Starting and all those questions about stuff. Nobody ever asked me who's starting that linebacker or starting that safety. Right? Who's going out there first, right? It's all about the quarterback, right? So I get it, but everybody is vying for a job here, right? We know we put a lot of emphasis on the quarterback in that position, but man, we need we have to see who's going to be starting right up front in that D line. Who's going to be starting in O line back? Like it's competitions all over our team for who wants to be. You know, the first guy's going out there. And to me, that's how, that's the only way I see it, right? Nobody's handed anything. For me, starters, you go out and prove to your teammates and practice every day in the meeting rooms, like how you show up to work every day, how, you, how you're a leader, right, how you're protecting the team. It's, it's more encompassing than just ball, right? We want guys who are dependable, guys we can count on when we line up, right? So all 22 guys, right, who are those guys? We're still figuring that out. I don't think this is D'Amico necessarily, like, fearful of announcing Stroud the starter. This isn't like, oh, Stroud's going to take it to his head and who knows where he's going to go. I firmly, and I like this, to be completely honest, I like this. I like that D'Amico Ryans is, is his philosophy, the culture that he is building is we're competing every single day. It doesn't matter who's at the top of the depth chart. I'm not going to sit here and make a big deal who's at the top of the depth chart because every single day matters when we're competing within our own team. Quite honestly, I like that. Okay, and I don't blame you because I would I like it too. But I think that it's different, as we all know, because of the position we're talking about. One, it's it's a no brainer to everybody that it's going to be C.J. Stroud. It's a no brainer that C.J. Stroud, from his perspective, still has to put the work in and do the things necessary. But different than if there's a linebacker battle or if there's a competition at wide receiver or another position where you're probably it's not going to have as much media attention. It's not going to be promoted as much or focused on as much to where you might not get the one-on-one time with your head coach or uh, your other coaches even. You just know on the depth chart, you know who's starting in preseason games or what's going on in practice that you know you're in a battle. But when you're talking about a guy like this and you're talking about just how important he is to this franchise, he is going to be treated differently. And it is going to be a separate situation. And you would expect that you have a conversation with him Right from the jump and then throughout the process, hey man, you gotta work. Hey man, at practice, if you're slipping up, you gotta step it up. You gotta get better. You gotta figure out what you're doing wrong. We're here to help you, but you gotta do these things. But I think that it's okay. I think it's more so to the to the point that he just doesn't like, and maybe this is one of the things he wasn't prepared for taking the head job of having to deal with that the media is going to hound you on this kind of stuff. And even if it annoys you, it's not going to go away. And with an important position like quarterback, uh-huh. everyone's going to keep pushing that on. I think he's smart enough to understand that, though. I just think I mean, it's... I know, he, but was he prepared that it's going to, with the, from a media perspective, you're just going to get blitzed with it every day? I would tend to believe that a guy that's been around football his whole life knows he's going to get quarterback questions. Yeah, I, but I, I, I firmly I, believe I think, that's the And case. the reason why I said this, because I think he's definitely annoyed. I think there's a, I, I do think that, but I just don't think he thinks it's important. 
Like, he, he doesn't think it's important to name QB1 for the season opener, just like he doesn't think it's important to name middle linebacker one for the season opener. And I don't blame him. Like, I think that the whole, like, conversation around this is incredibly silly. I think, like, fans that are – most fans aren't even – like, they, they know C.J. Stroud is a quarterback. I think there's, like, 3% of fans that don't. I think it's silly when the media is like, oh, who's going to be the starting quarterback, D'Amico, and trying to get them to, like, announce it so they can go tweet it out and get retweets about who QB1 is. Everybody knows who QB1 is. But this, to me, is bigger than that. This is about the culture of the organization mm-hmm. that he wants to instill. This is about the philosophy that he wants to instill with the Texans. I don't think he's playing games with the media. He's not a game player. I don't think he's, like, preventing Stroud from being, like, to know he's the starter. In fact, I think Stroud knows he's the starter. He he's been running with the ones for a month now. He's been the quarterback one for every single preseason game. This has everything to do with how D'Amico Ryan's culture and philosophy is going to be where he wants to build a competitive environment. And for a team that hasn't won a whole lot of football games lately, I think it's smart. Look, I I like it. I think it works. It can work with every position. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I'm I'm just saying. What's the negative, though? Like, that's the question I have. I don't think there is a negative to do this. I don't don't think there's anything. Either way, I mean, we all know that Baltimore knows who the starting quarterback is going to be. We know C.J. Stroud knows who the starting quarterback is going to be. I don't think C.J. Stroud goes practice to practice or goes home at night wondering if he's going to get beat out by Davis Mills. But I think that it's just the whole the whole reason. And again, we talk about the media is just thirsty for any kind of storyline. And because he won't, it becomes a bigger storyline every day that they want him to. And they want to be who gets the information. They want him to actually say it. And so then it becomes right. a game, too. It's like, they, it's they like a little game, right? They want the retweets. They want the retweets. They want everybody to look at it. I don't disagree with you at all that separate from completely different and exactly what Cully and, and, and Lovey weren't about. I love the fact that this is the culture that D'Amico right. wants to create. I do. But I think that there, it, just from the standpoint of it being the quarterback and, and being that special kind of treatment that gets to a quarterback differently than any other position group and, and competition on the field, mm-hmm. it, it's, 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 not like it's, it's not like we're sitting there going, man, there's a battle linebacker. It's going to come down to the final preseason game. I wonder who they're going to choose. D'Amico, can you tell us? Right. Now, I, I just – you know what? So, so yeah, I agree with you. I just don't think there's a negative in play. Like early, no. early in camp, I can understand the like. Well, they just need to announce Stroud. That way, he's getting all the snaps, and it helps the reps, and it helps his development. I can understand that argument. I really can. Mm-hmm. I think they were easing him into that. But C.J. Stroud for three weeks now has been getting every snap with the ones. He has started every single preseason game. So like the whole argument of like the hindrance of announcing him QB one does not exist anymore. There is not a negative you- going on that D'Amico. Ryan's has not announced his, his starting quarterback yet. There, there is zero negative out of the whole. No, the only negative that you're going to hear is the fact that we got to keep hearing about it every day. Exactly, it's, it's that's comical. the only negative, right? It's because comical. The media is not going to let it go. They're going to keep pushing it. He's not going to want to answer it. He's going to get more annoyed by it, but he's going to continue to play the game as well and not answer. And then we're all going to have to deal with it. That's the major negative of all of this. Because otherwise. If this is the way he's running his ship, if this is the way he wants to create his culture, I'm all for it. Yeah. I love it. I think it works. It works definitely in every other position group on the on the football field. Quarterback, I think, is treated as a different story, whether it's the right thing or not. But in this case, it doesn't matter because we know the answer and at they, the end of the day. And the other thing, too, is, like, who cares if we know? How about the 53 dudes that are going to be in that locker room and the coaches? Every single one of them knows. You think Davis Mills knows who's the starting quarterback going to be against Baltimore? Yeah. If you anonymously Do you think Case does? Do you know Stroud does? Locker room? They know. No question. They know. There is zero negative value out of this. The whole thing is is silly. And I like the culture that D'Amico is instilling with, with his philosophy with this. 713 780 
888-900-3776. It's the Will of Bits. Joe loves the Will of Bits because he tries to sneak things over on us like an impromptu draft yesterday. Let's Which see what Joe tries me. to sneak by us today. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Before we go to the break, tell you about the good people at Apollo Men's Health. You want to get more energy in your life on a daily basis? You want to be the name, the starter of your family and your workplace and your gym? Well, then you could be a starter and get more starters minutes and get more out of your day from the people at Apollo Men's Health. They've got everything for you. they got ways for you to lose up to six pounds in a week with semi-glutide that's FDA approved, and you don't have to work out at all. But if you want to get on a workout program, you want to tighten some things up, you want to lose some LBs, you want to feel better on a daily basis, they got all the different ways they can assist you in doing that and help you get to be a happier, healthier you. Start by going to their website, ApolloMH.com. Check out all the services they offer. If there's a few that interest you, sign up for an appointment. Right there online, you can do so. When you do so, and you mention my name, Joel Blank, you're going to find out you can get a free B12 shot or you can get a free body composition analysis on your first official visit. You're also going to find out that most major insurance is accepted and there's discounts for military personnel and first responders. But you're also going to find out when you show up for that appointment that the people there really care. They're going to ask you tough questions. They're going to actually focus on trying to get you results. And at the end of the day, they're going to put you in a program that works and they're going to get you where you need to go with the results that you need. They're great people, Haven and all the people over there. They greet you with a smile on your, their face, and they really deeply care about the results that they get you. Be the next person like me to get great results by going in there and believing in those people and the services that they offer. Go see the people at Apollo Men's Health. It's the Wheel of Bits on the Killer Bees. Kibbles and bits, kibbles and bits. I'm going to get me some kibbles and bits. Who knows the bits the bees will begrudgingly bite? Well, let's find out. It's time for start, sit, cut. Here's Joel and Jeremy and Joe. Mm-hmm. Jolene! You've been getting pretty good at uh, S2D2 said it. So what did S2D2 I Actually, say? I, I didn't hear him, but I'll play a little poker here. I know what Joe's tendencies are. Start, sit, cut. Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's his go-to. It is because it's my, it's my favorite one. I'll be honest. Um, so in honor of talking about Swamp Kings earlier mm. and the and the Florida Gators. Which you spoiled for me. Thanks. Yep. I'm anti-spoiler. I think you did you a solid. Spoilers. I think I helped you. I hate spoilers with a passion. I think you did him a solid. I think I saved three hours, of, three hours of your life. I'm not watching it now. There I'm not watching you it saved, now. What are you going to watch on a flight? What am I going to watch? I'm going to try to sleep after I drink my spicy bloody. Hmm. I have some I have some voided drink vouchers. Do you think they'll honor them? If you ask, the answer nicely. to that is no. You don't think so? I don't think so. Southwest is pretty chill. I think if you ask nicely, they might. I think they might approach help. I'm going to try. Just I'm don't try. tell them that it's expired. Uh, I don't know if that's the angle you want to play. I think you want to be like. Honestly, I think you want to address it at the beginning. Be like, hey, I don't fly often. These expired. Will you please uh, honor them? For yeah. My, for my yeah. We'll see. I think that's the way to go. Good luck. What number I think that did you gives get, you by the, the way? best percentage. I think it gives me a best shot. Yeah. It's the optimal decision. Both of them could Will work. it happen? Depends on the flight attendant. For sure. But does it give me the best chances? I think so. Best chances, honesty, although you also have a chance to slide it by, especially if they're still issuing them and there's different yeah. expiration you dates. Play, you want to play a game here? I'm a believer in can kill you, them can, with uh, Can kill you give me honey. one? Uh, I think I have two. So I'll lie. You tell the truth. Okay, let me let's let's try. That's actually cool. That's yeah, not a bad idea. Yeah, you can make it into uh, something see how the show. What number did you get, by the way? Uh, Paul and I are C1 and 2. Oh, <laughs> y'all choked. Did you not set an alarm for the 24-hour rule? I did not, and I checked in for me and Paul, so clearly Paul didn't either. I, did he offer to check in for you? I don't think it was. I I, it don't, auto, I wasn't with them. No, so. it, just, it just automatically checked in Paul with me. I did. Um, yeah, I set an alarm because you 24-hour check-in. Okay. So I set an alarm to check in because you have to do that if you want to get a reasonable seat. 
on Southwest. And uh, I checked in. I did it at the earliest possible time. I got a B-33. There's a, our flight's full. My wife and I spent 160 bucks last week. We did the upgrade both ways. Really? We just wanted to get... We, we weren't checking a bag. Man, you are bougie. We don't go on vacation <laughs> That's much. That's a bit bougie, man. You paid $160 for what? One letter? No, we were like B-50. And you pay, so you're still, uh, I don't, I think that was, I don't think you should have done that. We were full flights. I, I still, know. I still think you get seats next to each other though at the B50 range. Yeah, but we didn't check a bag, so we wanted to get out of there. I think so you wanted the to biggest, sit early in the plane, yeah. in front of the plane. Biggest cash grab that annoys me more oh, than yeah. anything else when they charge you for every bag. I think I mean, you I got gotta, ripped off there. I got to check this. You got ripped off there. I got to check a banner, so I got to check a bag, I guess. Yeah. So it doesn't matter where I sit. Should have just shipped it. Yeah. And you're alone. You're not traveling with your wife. Exactly. So I get a middle seat. Whatever. I'll be fine. You should be. You should travel with no. Paul, right? I mean, if you yeah. do, close. If you do the math, every A and B on that <laughs> flight should have at least a window or aisle option. I think C one. I think I might be okay. I think you'll get a window or an aisle. Yeah, I really do. I really do. I think Paul will too at C three. All right, what we got here after we? All right. In honor of uh, talking about the Gators earlier, start sit cut the 2008 national champion Florida Gators. Mm. Are we talking yeah. about football? Like football teams? Yeah. Football teams. The 2005 Texas Longhorns. Oh, I love that team. Or the 2000. That's wise Yeah. Or the 2019 Joe Burrow-led LSU Tigers. Oh, Start and sit cut. So Texas, I, I love Vince Young. I don't like Texas, obviously. Go Cougs because I'm loyal to the soil. Mm-hmm. But I love Vince Young. Love Vince Young. Vince Young is my favorite non-U of H college athlete of all time. Just get that out. I love Vince Young. I love watching him in Madison when he was a Marlin at Madison. He and Courtney Lewis in that backfield. That team, and that was that was it. That was it. They had Vince Young and Courtney Lewis, and that was it. I loved Vince Young. That 05 team, because of my affinity for for Vince Young, I'm I'm starting Vince Young. I'm because I love Vince Young. I don't think they're the best football team there, although they might be. I mean, they beat USC think, in the national title game. Like that was the best college football team. Some would say that was ever assembled. The 08 team. How was, many NFL guys did they have? 05 team. I don't know that team all that well other than Vince Young because I was trying a to think Vince Young skill, only fan. I'm not going to lie. skill position players and everything at Texas, were, did he have weapons? Did he have guys that were like... But you're you're going from in terms of like a productive football team. I'm going for my rooting interest here. I I, I'm conceding that the 05 Texas Longhorns probably don't beat either one of the you know the other two teams, the 08 Florida Gators, the 2019 LSU Tigers. But from a rooting perspective, I can never go against Vince Young in college unless we're talking about you know Houston guys like Case Keenum. I, I'm going to kind of flip the script a little bit, and I'm just going by like overall quality of the teams, the NFL talent they produced, the impact players that they had, and that's why I think that, and everybody says this, maybe they weren't challenged enough or maybe no one could, but I think I'm going to start LSU with Joe Burrow and those receivers with Chase and Jefferson, all the guys that they had and the offensive and defense. Every, almost everywhere you turned, that team was loaded with NFL talent. Team was dirty, and it just absolutely blew the doors off of people. And so I'm going to start LSU, and then on that same vein, I'm going to go down a notch and say I'm going to sit Florida because one, I don't think they can be the team that I would start because Tim Tebow, as good as he was in college, and he was arguably the greatest college quarterback of all time. Case Keenum is okay. the answer to that question in your mind because you're you're Statistic- sticking with your heart. Well, statistically, he is okay. It's a but fact, not an opinion. I'm just looking at all the other talent that as much as we were looking for the missteps and the the issues that were at Florida, you can't argue the amount of talent that they had on that team. So I'm going to start LSU. I am going to sit Florida. And don't take this wrong, Texans, Texas fans, because, look, VY was unbelievable. 
But overall, when I have to ask the question, when I already know the answer to two of the other rosters in terms of the NFL talent and the talent all over the board that they had, I'm going to cut Texas. Oh, five Texas. I forgot that they had Jamal Charles. Yeah, freshman. They had Jamal Charles. He had over a thousand yards that year. Like that's that's why I asked the question. But that guy even was still, a stud. Yeah. I, think, I think most of their studs were for NFL players. Were defense, on defense. Michael Huff, Michael, Michael Griffin, Griffin had some time in D-backs. the NFL too. Michael Griffin was. He, which one was the Titan? Was it Michael Griffin? I can't remember. Yeah, one of them was really good for the Titans. Okay, I know you should remember the Titans. That team also beat USC. That, I know. That, that had Liner, that had Bush, that had Lindell. Like that. That was, I mean, one of the Rose Bowl for the ages. Lindell White, man, talk about a guy I thought was going to be dominant at the next level. Just never did. Cam Newton was on that O A team too. By the way, he threw two passes that year for Florida. That, that was for before Florida. he stole the laptop. Florida and O A had Joe Hayden. They had Brandon Spikes defensively. Carlos Dunlap. That team was filthy. They too. had the the man. What pounces. a great. Wait a great question. Yeah, I didn't even look at offensive line. Yep. You know, that's... Yeah, I mean, Percy Harvin, the Pounceys, obviously Aaron Hernandez. But LSU had Burrow. He Chase, had Chase. Jefferson. He had Jefferson. Yeah, I mean, who were their running backs? I didn't realize Terrace Marshall was on that team. Yeah, who's also who was LSU's these, running backs? Back Clyde Edwards-Helaire. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah, and they had someone else. Too. Clyde Edwards-Helaire was. I a thought dude they had the somebody NFL. else. I mean, the dude at LSU. Um, their rushing leaders that year were Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who had 1,400. Their next guy was Joe Burrow. But they had Tyree and Davis-Price, who had 295 yards. They had Leonard Fournette, Leonard's younger brother. Oh, I remember that. But he had 13 carries. Like, that team was that team was Burrow, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. That's filthy, man. That's so filthy. Yeah, I, I, for me, it's start LSU. I think it's the, it'll be the greatest team of the last, you know, probably since Florida. Like, they're so stacked. They're so good. And the greatest single season in college football history is Joe Burrow. Like, there's no question. I know statistically they got it's passed up Case by Bailey Zappi in a single season, but Joe Burrow did it against real competition in one year. Most touchdown passes, most yards. Like, he was absolutely I mean, incredible. He was a one-hit wonder. Case did it for the body of his career. I mean, Case had to stay in college a lot longer. I mean, that's, that's kind of the going thing now, though. <laughs> with so much extra eligibility so, to COVID and all that. I'm going to start the 05 Longhorns because of my affinity for Vince Young. I'm going to sit the 19 LSU Tigers. I'm going to have to cut the 08 Gators. I'm sorry. Sorry, uh, not so. I'm sorry. I'm going to start LSU. I'm going to sit the Gators, and I'm going to cut the Longhorns. You're with me. I just I, – I can't – the Longhorns are, are – were that was a great game. One of the best college football games we've ever great seen. Great game. But, like – How do you let Vince Young have the edge? It's insane. Like, it's insane. But – and the team they beat they, – now, they beat the level of competition the other two teams didn't – you know, didn't they both played Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Florida played uh, Sam Bradford. Oklahoma should have won that game too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and then LSU played nineteen would have been Baker. I don't think they played Baker. Oh no, in the sorry, they played in the semi. They played Clemson. They, they played, played Clemson, Clemson in the semis. Or no, in the, in, the cha- in the championship, they played yeah, they played Clemson. Baker in the semis. Yeah, it would have been Baker, I guess, in nineteen. So, like, I- I'm going to start LSU. I'm going to sit Was Florida and cut Texas. No, nineteen would have been. Lawrence. Lawrence. I mean, LSU had some players defensively, too. Yeah. Like they had Stingley. Was it, was it the, the linebacker? Was it White? Patrick Queen. Or Queen. Okay. Yeah, Patrick Queen. I think White was, was the Ravens, I think right? White was gone. Was he there? Yeah, Queen's with Baltimore. Yeah. Did he go to LSU? White? I think he did, but think he, so. he wasn't, he yeah, went yeah, on that. Devin, I think he was yeah, already Devin gone. White. He might have yeah. left the year before I think that. he did leave the year before. Yeah. Grant right. Delpit, who I thought Grant Delpit was going to be. So did a lot of NFL scouts. I thought he was going to be a stud in the NFL. All right. Start, sit, cut. 
08 Gators, 05 Longhorns, 19 LSU Tigers. 713-780-3776. Pena, Jeremy Pena. Starting to see a little bit of maturation as a hitter. I think he's going to start hitting for a little bit of power. And let's pre- predict the Jose Arquiti line today as well. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Something that you need to have in your life if you're a business owner is HRP, Human Resources and Payroll. It's Cougar owned by Mike Holly. He, he used to protect a Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, now he wants to protect your business. HRP members of the Cougar 100 for the eighth year in a row, going on a decade now. You've seen the HRP signage at U of H games. You've seen their building off the Beltway. And business owners, let HRP help you. Whether it's HR compliance, benefits administration, payroll, onboarding, HRP can help in one of those areas. They can help in all of those areas. It doesn't matter. Whatever you need, because there's no boxes with HRP. Doesn't matter how small the job, how big the job. HRP will completely customize a plan for what you or your business needs. You have a little problem. You have a big problem, you have a little issue, a big issue, you want to take a little bit off your plate, HRP will find a way to help. They do it in a way that's unique. Technology meets service. They have the best technology. You'll trust that. You'll love that. But you'll fall in love with their service. Guaranteed fulfillment. You won't be talking to a stranger on a call board. You'll be talking to someone who knows you and your business needs. Give them a call right now. 281-880-6525 and let HRP customize a plan for you. 281 880-6525, or check them out at hrp.net. That's hrp.net. Hey, Houston, you're live in the hive with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. I don't think this is our key song. I thought it was Vicente Fernandez with Jose Arquiti. This is what Blankers left. I made him mad during the break. Yeah, so he quit on Stormed us. out and left. Good thing we're going to Vegas and getting away from him tomorrow. I thought it was Vicente Fernandez. It just this is what, it says Arquiti song. We haven't used an Arquiti song in a long time. I thought it was Vicente Fernandez. I don't think this is it. Well, this doesn't sound like a Jose Arquiti. This doesn't sound good for Jose Arquiti. Vicente Fernandez should be a Jose Arquiti. I, I kind of agree. So we'll see how he does tonight. And then if it doesn't go well, we'll change it. You might have to be working on a little Javier stuff, too. Uh, I think it's time for Suavemente to go. It might be. I think it's and, I, time. and I love that song. Hey. I love that song, but it might be time. You know, I think we we did not do, you know, we as a show decided to also anoint Hunter Brown, the next Justin Verlander, a little bit. Yeah. We kept the same band and everything. I think we're okay with Brown for now. I don't know. Fromber might be up for discussion. We might put everything back on the table. Maybe it's time. Maybe we're starting fresh. You know, new time slot. Maybe we start fresh with a few of these songs. Although Verlander, I think, needs to stay. The, needs to stay. Yeah, JV stays. Fromber's up for debate. Hunter, maybe. Javier, certainly. Um, Arquiti, that, 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 that doesn't fit Jose Arquiti. What's that, our rule? That quality start, Arquiti. it stays? Yeah, I think that was our rule on some of them. Yeah, so if he gets quality start tonight, it stays for now. Do we think that Jose Arquiti will have a quality start today? No, really? I would say no. This I think it'll be close. Red Sox lineup. I think he'll pitch well. Like, the, but they, for as bad as their defense is, their offense is solid. So we're looking for a new Jose Arquiti song next start. If he doesn't have a quality start today, Astros lineup too. By the way, in case you've been, uh, you know, working things like that. Uh, Jose Altuve at second, Bregman at third, Tucker in right. Chas McCormick hits cleanup in left. Yiner Diaz bats fifth in DHs. Abreu's back. They optioned down David Hensley, brought back Abreu, activated him off the IL. He's at first at six, bottom three, Pena at short, Myers and center, Maldonado catches. 
I kind of I kind of like this. I like this from Dusty Baker. I think it's good to flip flop McCormick and Diaz depending if there's a lefty or righty on the mound. Chaz is far better against lefties than Yiner Diaz. Chaz should be hitting higher in the lineup against lefty than Yiner Diaz, and then against righties it should be flipped. So I, I like what Dusty's doing here. Jose Arquiti two and three five twenty one ERA. Chris Sell five and three with a four fifty ERA. Speaking of Jeremy uh, Jeremy Pena, Joe, I've noticed something with Jeremy Pena. I've noticed he's become a little bit more patient. We get on to Jeremy Pena a lot for swinging at those breaking balls off the outside part of the plate, looking awful doing it, striking out a lot. I don't know if you have noticed this or not, but Jeremy Pena has a 310 on base percentage. Still not great. 310 on base percentage this year, though. He had a 299 on base percentage last year. Did you know, Joe? That Jeremy Pena, I think it's over the last 20 games, something like that, 102 at-bats, something like that. Jeremy Pena has a 390 on-base percentage. I think Pena's surrendered some power for getting on base. Quite frankly, I'll take that. I'll take a 390 on-base percentage if it means less power. But this is encouraging. Like, he's he's not striking out as much. You're getting on base at a 39% clip over your last 100 plate appearances. You're doing something right. I think we're seeing Jeremy Pena mature as a hitter right before our eyes. You don't need him to be the power in the lineup. You just don't. It's, it's like the Bregman conversation we'd have earlier this season. Just get on base. Get on base more. Like, that's all. Like, doing that alone makes you so much more valuable to this team. Just more ducks on the pond. That's what the Astros need. So, yeah, if he's giving giving up some power and being more patient and getting on base more, like all of that's a win. You don't need him to be. I don't. Know, what do you think he is at his max? A home 20, run wise, twenty five home I, runs. See, I, he's got power. He's got power. When he connects, he hits the ball a long ways. He's yeah. a strong man. It doesn't take you know a rocket scientist to figure that out. He's a strong man. I think he has really good power. The problem is he doesn't barrel it a lot. He doesn't. He doesn't square up a lot. Like Yonder Diaz. Diaz has really good power. But Diaz finds barrels. Like Alex Bregman isn't as strong as Jeremy Pena, but Bregman will hit the barrel more often than Jeremy Pena will. Uh, early last year when Pena had like his little hot start and hit a bunch of home runs out of the gate, I thought he could be a 20-25 home run kind of guy. I, I still think that like his season high over the course of his career is going to be in the 20-25 range. I think he can touch 20-25 like a year or two in his career. Yeah, he, I think there might be like one year where he has like a really special year and he gets close to 30, but that's his most. And it'll be a one-off. I'm a believer, though, that we're going to start to see some power from Jeremy Pena. And this is the – I'm putting two and two together here. Because what is the book on Jeremy Pena before these last 100 plate appearances? Slider. You throw slider away. You throw him pitches out of the zone. And Jeremy Pena is going to get himself out. You don't attack Jeremy Pena because he's going to swing at pitches out of the zone. And you could put out Jeremy Pena as a pitcher without attacking the strike zone. Now that Pena's starting to walk at a much higher rate, now that he's showing that he's willing to be patient, takes his walks, 390 on-base percentage over his last 100-plus plate appearances, the counter to that is going to be these pitchers are going to learn that they're going to have to start attacking Jeremy Pena more. I think that we're going to start to see Jeremy Pena get more pitches over the zone. We're going to start to see pitchers trying to attack Jeremy Pena, and I think when Pena takes you know hacks at pitches in the zone, I think Pena's capable of hitting the ball a long way. Yeah. Saw that last year, saw it in the playoffs, certainly. I think we're on the cusp 
I think we're on the brink. And I'm not saying that Payne is going to have a like an eight-game home run streak, anything like that. I think we're about to see an uptick because of Payne's maturation as a hitter, willing to draw the walk, getting on base more. I think we're going to start to see Jeremy Payne get hot again with the power numbers. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so because like, even though I said you don't need it, it'd just be such a boost for this lineup at this point in the season if you could add that as well to where this team is at. You know, what I think would be interesting too with Pena is like long term, if the hope would still be that he's your two hole hitter, that even when Dusty's gone and someone else is managing this team next year, like it is the hope that Jeremy Pena would bat behind Jose Altuve, followed by Bregman, Alvarez, and Tucker. I've never liked Pena in the two hole. I didn't love it either. Other than his numbers are great and he gets protection from, you know, Jordan Tucker. Whenever you have a 290 on base percentage, you should never be batting that high in the lineup. No. But if this new Jeremy Pena, and he, look, he's not going to have a 390 on base percentage next year. But if he can be like a 340, 350 on base percentage guy, yeah, you can put him in that two spot. If Jeremy Pena is who he was last year, 290 on base percentage, he shouldn't be batting second in the lineup. Even his overall numbers this year, 310 on base percentage, should not be second in the lineup. But if Jeremy Pena is a 340, 350, I'm on board with that. I, I, I'm cool with Jeremy Pena being in the two spot if he can have a 340, 350 on base. Yeah, I got like, I'm poking against my own argument here, it would just be that I don't want. Tucker and Alvarez or Bregman batting that low. But just, it did seem like I mean, it worked so well last year. Like, his numbers were up, but they won a lot of baseball games with him batting second. And, and I don't know if that's just a coincidence or if the lineup just, like, that was the perfect lineup at that time. But, because the thing with Payne when he chases is that if he has guys in front of him, people are just going to throw stuff outside the zone, and he's just going to strike out. And he's into a lot of ground ball, double plays, too. Yeah. That's See, always been like, that's... My, we we kind of ignore the double play stuff with Pena. I feel like because he strikes out so much. But if you can if you can eliminate those things or cut them down just dramatically, he's such a better player. See, I kind of like him in the nine spot because it, it's like the the best of both worlds. You're getting a guy who's right now riding a streak of a three ninety on base percentage. Uh, over his last 100 plate appearances. He's also getting protection from Jose Altuve. And I like somebody in front of Jose Altuve that can get on base. Like, it would be nice. Altuve is one of your best hitters. He's one of your best sluggers, too, in that leadoff spot. You get somebody on base in front of him, I like the idea of that. All right, it's going to do it for us. Thanks so much to uh, Joe George for doing all the hard work. He was Blankers. I'm Branham. Uh, Paul Gallant and I will be talking to you tomorrow from Circa in Las Vegas. Joe will be alongside, too. He's going to be bringing us drinks. Coming up next, Patrick Creighton and Late Hits on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.